Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Coming your way, this one officially go down. Episode number 183. My guest today is about 162 years younger than that. At least that's the math that I'm doing. Uh, longtime uh, partner in this game and uh, even longer time friend. And of course, knows what it's like from the hierarchy standpoint at the highest level. And and now gets to talk about it, which I'm sure is a lot less stress. And you can catch him, of course, on MLB Network Radio, Power Alley, uh, Monday through Friday, 10 a to, uh, to 1P, right? I still got that right. You still doing what, front office on the weekends? What is that, Sunday? That's Sunday. Sundays, and uh, and of course his uh, beautiful face uh, with no help needed from the makeup chair on uh, SNY uh, constantly. Duke, appreciate you, man. Thanks for doing this. How you been? Everything is good. No makeup will help. You know, it's like putting lipstick on a pig. That's it. That's it. We can shine easy right here with no powder and we're good to go. Um, I want to get into a number of things, obviously get into plenty with the Mets and kind of where they sit as we do this here on a Friday now at 22 and 23, feeling good after getting a couple of wins as they welcome in the Guardians this weekend. Hit Otani and some other stuff as uh, the trade deadline is never far enough away. You at home at work around the road. is your number one source for all of your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. You can get the latest odds and lines, latest matchup info, reports for all this year's NBA playoffs. Better line your sports Intel headquarters this season. Got you covered for all your sports wagering needs, basketball, MLB, NHL, hockey, golf, UFC, even boxing. It is the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, live options, and more, including your favorite casino and card games available from your home. Get into the action today. Here's how. Head to the website, order your mobile device, and join and use our promo code BELIEVE. It's B-L-E-A-V to get your 50% bonus on your first deposit. B-L-E-A-V. you got to believe. It's bet online where the game starts. Speaking of believing, 22 and 23, it's only the quarter turn. We saw the Nationals sit there at 19 and 31 and go and win a World Series, right? So no problem mm-hmm. there. Last year, beginning of June, the deficit was, what, 10 games, I believe, right? That the Braves yeah. were behind the Mets and caught them just fine. So take the most rational approach that you can. How worried should a Met fan be 45 games into the season? I think the most rational approach is they haven't, clicked on their starting rotation their offense hasn't been uh, very consistent and there's still a game under 500 you know to this point and you can start to see well hopefully anyway the 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 high price starting pitchers the two the two kind of co-aces um starting to trend in a better direction notwithstanding Verlander's last outing against the Rays but it looked like you know you'd say two of his last three have been really good Scherzer was good his last one and so, you know, we'll see what that looks like here in this next series. Um, you know, Carrasco comes back. Um, and Senga, I thought that was his best outing of the year against the Rays. And that's not an easy lineup to navigate through. So I feel like there's a turn in the rotation side. And, and maybe these young hitters now, uh, the Mets offense, you know, that they brought up from the minor league, maybe they actually can provide some power along with Pete Alonso, because it doesn't look like the rest of the line, maybe Lindor will heat up on the power side of it, but I don't know if they have any more power to add uh, to this group. It concerns me. That's the area I think I'm 
at the end of this, I'm going to be more concerned about. But, you know, I, I got to say I'm cautiously optimistic about the rotation uh, the way it appears at the moment. Uh, you and I were both working together a few years ago when Gary Sanchez was the savior for the Yankees. Yeah. Uh, not exactly the same story as he steps in now, and he's on his way up to the bigs with this team. What can he what can he feasibly within realistic expectation do to help this team? You know, I'm a little confused at where and how he's going to get the playing time because Alvarez needs to play. He he has impressed me on how much better his defense has been this year. I'll tell you, uh, when you and I were together watching Michael Conforto at the Futures game in the All-Star, at the All-Star break there a while ago, and the, the word was, oh, he's not ready. The defense isn't up to something. And we're like, are they watching the same guy that we're watching right now? And he's, he can help the big league team, right? Like, it was almost the same thing with Alvarez. You were hearing, all oh, the defense is in there, defense is in there. All of a sudden, his defense looks pretty darn good. He's handling pitches. You know, the game calling is going to be, a, you know, work in progress. And all of a sudden, his offense has started to heat up. You know, Beatty, you know, we'll wait and see. But I think that that's legit um, as well. So, um, I don't know, though, going back to the Sanchez-Alvarez thing, like, Alvarez has got to catch, and he's got to play. Uh, he's got to be in the lineup. So are you going to carry three catchers now? Like, I'm not – you know, I thought they might, might need to go with a you know backup catcher up along with Alvarez. So I'm kind of curious how this is going to go. His offense, in fairness, was good. That's AAA. You know, it wasn't good last year. It hasn't been good for a while. So I'm a little skeptical what we're going to see. But, you know, I'm hopeful that he can contribute some way. The last thing I remember from uh, Gary Sanchez was the near incident with the swinging bat in the on-deck circle uh, when he was in Minnesota. I mean, we haven't seen him have any prowess in a very long time. Clearly not a defensive player. This is a guy who you're getting for the pop. We've seen him get streaky like a three-point shooter in the NBA with the home runs, but we've also seen it where he can't make contact. The thing for me, and I wanted to get into this because – this is an age-old problem fans and media have. And from a GM lens, it's different when you're looking down the field. And that's the lineups and how they are used, especially when you have a veteran manager like Buck is. I go back to even when Jimmy Leland was with the Tigers. Mm-hmm. During the years where he was starting to have success they hadn't had since the mid-'80s. And even then, when he would sit there and put a Santiago, and I'm thinking of some of the others, and a Brandon Inge, when he'd mix in other guys, the Sunday lineup, there were people that were complaining that he wasn't playing regulars. And I remember asking him about that and him saying if the goal was to win a World Series, he's making sure that every single person is prepared not only to physically make it there, but to have all sorts of roles as injuries come and whatnot so he knows what he's got and the players know they can handle it. The fans have not handled this well, clearly. They're complaining about Buck way more. They didn't much last year at all before the Musgrove situation, probably in the playoffs. Now they're complaining about, well, Beatty and Alvarez, a couple of days ago, Alvarez's big home run, not in the lineup the next day. And, you know, regardless of whether it was an issue where he needed a day, nobody cared. Buck needs to have him in the lineup, needs to have Beatty. What is your kind of from where you sit your vantage point on the right way to handle a situation with veterans that a manager wants to put in and the kids Duke that you have to give some rope to kind of hang themselves a bit with some struggle. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a really delicate balancing act that you have there. You know, I think it's probably 
it's one of the more difficult things that you have to do with a manager making out the lineup. You know, you know your fan base is going to be unhappy. There's a segment of Mets fans go always going to be unhappy until they start going off on these wins. But, you know, to the point, uh, Vientos comes up in his first game and he homers, and then he's off the next day. And I was that was kind of a head-scratcher, too. You know, like, like okay, what, what's going on? But to your point, and, and you, you know, Buck's been pretty clear on, and, and has had a pretty um, consistent track record to – to playing the, the entire roster. And I think that does a couple things. It gives guys a day off at this point in the season, which I know for fans are like, come on, they don't need a day off. But you're seeing that in other sports too, uh, you know, that that workload and being careful, uh, you know, on, on just all of that kind of comes into the long season, 162-game season. And you know you're going to have a bunch of injuries. And then if you've got a guy sitting there on the bench, for two straight weeks, which he he used to do with like a Ryan Flaherty, and but Ryan Flaherty when the Orioles like he could hit you know falling out of bed. So all right, you gave him two weeks of no playing time, and he just pick up. But this that's a rare guy. Like you don't find guys like that. So I felt, and Bobby Valentine was also very good at rotating guys in and getting like them every day, dude. Sharp. I mean, Bobby had a different right? lineup every day, literally. And it would drive me nuts too when I was in the front office. Piazza has got a Sunday off. Here comes Todd Pratt. Pratt would hit a home run. You're like, okay, that feels fine. And then Piazza, the, after the off day, would hit a home run. You're like, okay, it, there was like the method to the madness. So there's a, you know, there are. Uh, you know, workload issues that are, I think, uh, tried and true now. And Buck's experience, I think, is what you kind of lean lean on and fall back on. So I don't get as concerned about it. What I get issues, sometimes you see in sports where, like, San Diego struggling for a long time, and then they don't change up the lineup, and they keep Fernando Tatis in the leadoff spot. Like, don't be too stubborn to know that maybe that doesn't work. You know, and that's where I would look at it from Buck's side. Okay, you know. If we're if we're seeing the Mets are so built on Alonzo, maybe Alonzo should go into the two spot more, and you know fl- maybe flip he and Lindor every once in a while, or you try try that on occasion to see if that sparks the offense. You don't have to do it. Remember, you know your buddy Joe Madden. Uh, I we talked to Joe would put Anthony Rizzo in the oh, leadoff spot. Yes, sometimes. For what? You know, because he wasn't swinging the bat well. And then after like three games where he swung it well, you move him back to the regular position. So trying things like that, I think, is is, uh, is worthwhile. Yeah, he, here's the other thing, Duke, and I think people need to realize this. We focus on the young kids not getting enough time or if they're getting too much rope and struggling, then we complain, well, they, they should have more days off or just the, to your point, Vientos hits a home run. Well, he got to play every day. If the guys the Mets were paying and counting on to do what they're supposed to, were, and I'm not talking about Pete, right? Forget the batting no. average for a second. But if Lindor and Marte and McNeil and Canna and Vogelbach and all the other six guys that right. you knew would be stalwarts in there were doing what they're capable of and what they're expected and paid to do, I'm not getting on them. It's 45 games. I get it. But I'm just being honest. Yeah. If they're doing that, then it's easier for Buck to let Alvarez go two for 40 and not care or to let Beatty go three for 30. And I'm just throwing out arbitrary numbers and not care. Aren't we pointing at the wrong thing? Instead of spotlighting the lineup changes, the ones who aren't being changed, who are in there every day, aren't doing what they are supposed to. And that is the much bigger problem. Yeah. Escobar is another guy you can throw into that equation, right? To, to your point. And 
I think that's the that's the most difficult thing when you look at like so all this clamoring for Vientos because he was crushing um, pitching in AAA. Thirteen home well, runs in AAA or whatever it was, right? Fourteen, yeah, right, like right. That. And I remember watching some highlights of him and one of the home runs he hit, and everyone's like, "Bring him up." He hit it off an 88 mile an hour. Yeah, he got holes in the swing, dude. We saw it last year when he was up. We saw, saw it last it. year. And what pitcher at the major league level is throwing 88 miles an hour? <laughs> There's none. They're gone. So, like, let's not give too much credit to the home run off the 88 high fastball. Yeah. Because that doesn't exist at the major no. league level. So, like, that's the thing. You, and, and Viento's coming up to be the answer. That, that's not going to happen. It's. To your point, all these other guys that are getting paid, it's up to them to produce the way they're capable. You know, when you look at, at this team, clearly they were going to go as far as the age in the rotation was going to take them to an extent. I mean, it's ironic how one of the things we won't talk about as an issue, the Edwin Diaz situation, which, look, it could rear its head at some point, but they've done a nice job. The guys Billy's brought in, I mean, everybody's yeah. kind of mix and match a little bit. hasn't been perfect, but it's not why they're 22 and 23. It's the least of problems you can bring up. When you rely on age, sometimes it's be careful what you wish for, and you got to kind of know what you're getting. Like the Cardinals deciding or figuring out that Wilson Contreras was not Yadier Molina defensively or with pitch sequencing is really funny after the fact. Like, I don't know what they thought they were signing. But for the Mets, did you kind of expect that this was going to be a little of a bumpy road in bubble wrap more than maybe some fans thought going into the season at the front of this rotation? Well, yeah, because when we were first off, you get asked this all the time. I did, you know, before the season, what's the ideal number of starts for the top two guys, right? The, the close to 40 or over 40 guys. Right. And for for both Scherzer and Verlander, for me, it was 28 starts each. Why 28 starts? Well, Verlander made 28 starts last year. He ended up being a Cy Young. They look at how he they, he was used. He was used like 23 of the 28 or something along those lines was on an extra day's rest. So six days instead of five. So, okay, why would you change that recipe when it was so good? And, oh, by the way, maybe you can convince Scherzer that that's the right recipe for him because he only made, like, 24 starts last year. And you know that as you age, you're going to, you know, there's going to be injuries you got to deal with. So, and we didn't know that this was going to be so rocky and so um, uneven for Scherzer, obviously with the suspension, and he had the the, the, the trap or neck, whatever it was. But um, you you can almost dial in for them somewhere between, hopefully, between 25 and 28 starts. So I think that's where you, and that's where they should have been planning. I felt like they had, at the time, enough depth. It doesn't look like they do now. You know, David Peterson hasn't pitched very well no. at all. Uh, yeah, but, I hey, mean, yeah. yeah. But McGill pitch has pitched. Pretty, He's been okay. Well, He's right? been fine. So, I mean, look, if I told you you're going to ERA sub four and yeah. what he five and two and the rest of it the way it is and keep you in most of the games, what else did you expect him to do? I mean, you didn't expect right. Peterson's ERA to be a thousand, but you know, which clearly has not helped. Carrasco be you know rendered pretty much useless because of injury. But I want to I want to go back to Scherzer for a second because yeah. you know everything's easy when it's Monday morning quarterback. Right. We all thought the max move, even though it's a lot of money, was the right way to go. It was, it was. I mean, look, from a Met fan standpoint, even wearing that bias hat, the idea was like, even at that money, wait, he's coming to the Mets, was amazing for everyone. 
But the year before that, his arm pretty much went dead at the end after that deal with the Dodgers, right? You can go back to 2019 where you and I were on the field covering a World Series that he basically had to come back from the dead to pitch in, and we didn't even know that he would be okay. He has done so much at such a high level, but with so much exertion of energy, Duke, for so many years that to me, I feel like he's even older than his age in the way that he has pitched, regardless of how well he's kept his body. Do you have a fear? Because the 24 starts you mentioned last year, you're right. But at the end of it, Duke, he was at his worst. Yeah. Do you have a fear that this may be a bigger problem than just a herky-jerky, sticky start for Scherzer? Uh, you know, I think that when we kind of look at over the last three seasons, especially, and you can count, I feel like maybe the, the, that 2019 at the end, we were starting to see signs of it. You know, you kind of look, you have to look at that, uh, you know, historically now and be able to say, you know what, maybe there is something to this. And that's why I put 28 starts. It could be 25, could be 22, whatever it is, whatever Max's best 22 starts are, you want to make sure that he's built to the point where he can give you the, those best at the end of the year. So if it's rocky to to September, but his best eight starts are five in September and three in October, then then that's great. You know, and I think that's going to be the trick for the for this team and for Max is let's not get too caught up in a you know April start versus Cincinnati because really the, what matters for the Mets um, is you know, getting there clearly, but then how does it happen? How does he pitch in the postseason? He, they didn't pitch well. He didn't at the end of the season and he didn't pitch well in the game against San Diego uh, well enough. And so I think that for me is what I look at with Scherzer and for Verlander. That's like, let's make sure they finish uh, healthy so that their, their, their best effort, you know, is happening in the, the postseason. And if they lose, because of that, then you'll feel better about it. If not, then they, it was poor planning, you know. And I think that's going to be the the real interesting thing is I don't know what they're going to do at the deadline, but they need pitching absolutely. And and another bat with power, probably somebody that's yeah. not a kid that they can trust. And all of those problems lead me to where I was going to go. And this is kind of how I'll enter it into Otani, but I'll close this Mets part out this way. When you and you know this, I mean, look when. When you're in New York, there's already a high level of pressure. Right. When now you're spending late 90s Yankees money and then some, there's even more pressure. And there was always pressure on those Yankee teams, and they were winning every year. And there was still that pressure of, well, you don't go all the way and then stop at the one-yard line and instead of handing it to Marshawn Lynch, go past the ball like we saw in the Super Bowl, right? So you got to go further. Just how much pressure is there, do you think, on Billy Epler and Steve Cohen, and I know it's Steve's money, to then look at this deadline regardless of record, because you're going to be in it somewhere with the wild card, to then make the move that, you know, undoes the Correa thing, so that extra bat that you should have gotten and needed, I know Correa hasn't been good, but you follow what I'm saying, is there a pressure that we haven't seen even take yourself, Steve, other guys in the front office with the Mets ever, because it kind of feels very Yankee like with this, we must go out and make the biggest moves to go win the deadline now too. Yeah, I I think there is. So, so, you know, I think the, the blueprint has always been, well, what did the Dodgers do and how have the Dodgers done it? If you kind of look at what they've done and Andrew Friedman's one of the best, right? He, he has resisted trading impactful uh, young players f- uh, for you know uh, 
two month or three month rental. Um, but having said all that, if if there's a deal that can be done with a guy that's a lesser prospect, or maybe you can get maybe double up on prospects, you know, they went out and they got in. You know, the year that they got Manny Machado, they gave up five five guys for for Machado that year. Now they didn't they didn't get to the to the World Series, but that's what they do. Got they, to Game Seven up. of an LCS, right? Yeah, that's I, I right. mean they were close. That year, I mean, that year they got to the LCS, and you know, we know 2020 they won the World Series, but mm-hmm. but and they didn't do much there. But but they're always hunting for that. And they did the yep. Trey Turner Max Scherzer deal for their top two at the at the time. So you know, there's a willingness to do that. And I think there's going to be the willingness because of that pressure, because of what they've spent and the high expectations to do the same thing for the Mets. And to me, it really comes down to who's going to be available. You know, which might lead to what you want to talk about with Otani, because I don't think that. Um, Otani's going to be available at the deadline. I think he's going to be a free agent, you know, um, and that's where, you know, a team like the Mets or the Dodgers are going to pursue him. But I, I find it hard to believe that the Angels or the Angels today, they're, uh, you know, a game over 500. But with, again, with the wild card, I feel like they're going to be good enough to be in the in the uh, postseason mix. And they're going to be adding, not subtracting. That's what I that's how I view their team at the moment. Here's the thing. Let's get into that because this is, it's fascinating to me. If you ask me a should or what they will do, it's two totally different answers. Right. The will part of, you know, where Artie's at right now and and who knows with him anyway, and where he sees the franchise moving forward. It looks like they don't move Otani and there's no chance they keep him. And Otani ends up Yankees, Mets, to me, Dodgers, Mariners, maybe you want to throw Padres or somebody else in. But I think it's probably Yankees, Mets, Dodgers, Mariners for me somewhere in there. Sure. The should part. From a business standpoint, Duke, it is, I would say, almost borderline asinine to have a guy who is... Now, we've seen this before. We can go to the Robinson Canoes and the 9 million other guys that you kind of thought were going to walk and they don't get traded. And then, you know, they, they end up taking money and going elsewhere and you don't get anything for them. And the, the franchise didn't want to move the guy and say to the fan base that they were willing to. They want to, in the offseason, right, run the guy under the bus in some way and say, we did everything we can, Harper right. with the Nationals, whoever, and then save some sort of face. Duke, isn't there an onus on this organization when you have a guy who is one of one to get as much as you can for him at the deadline, when you know deep down there's no chance he's coming back? Yeah, and and it's, you know, I think the front office realizes that too. That's why you saw his name mentioned in trade conversation last year. They were were out there shopping, seeing what they could get for him. They they couldn't get nearly enough for him. Um, But they were taking the temperature and that was when there was uncertainty about the ownership group, you know, cause already at that point was talking about, I think internally anyway, talking about selling. Now you fast forward, he, he has since taken the team off the market and he's going to own it. Um, and he does not want to send up that, that, that white flag to his fan base. And it's not, it is nuts. 100% it's nuts. Just like it was nuts not to trade Harper. And if you remember back then during that trade deadline, Mike Rizzo had a deal for Harper with the Astros and the ownership said, no, don't do it. And they, they were okay the next year, clearly without them because they won the world series, but that they paid the piper and have been ever since they didn't trade for, you know, their, their turnaround and their rebuild would have been a lot quicker if they got something for Harper that year. So um, I think the angels, you know, from what they're going to do, 
it's not likely they're going to tra trade them. If they what they should do, 100%, because they they can get a top prospect for Otani as a starter, and they can get a top prospect at least for what he can do as a hitter. And that's just for two two and a half month rental for someone else to kind of say, all right, well, we want to have the inside advantage of of signing this guy as a free agent. Uh, last one for you, just to kind of follow on that. Do, do, is your thought and is the feeling you get pulse-wise from people around the league that we may enter conversation about Trout again? You know, look, we he stayed when we didn't think he would. Uh, we all thought, okay, you can get more money than that. I mean, you're Mike Trout. I don't, you're probably going to come east. I mean, we all had this thought, right? If it's not the Phillies, he can go play for Mets, Yankees, Red Sox. And he was always about being home and, and he's a family guy, all of that. You know, then it seemed like, okay, he's going to spend his life there. And once Otani got there, it's like, okay, these two are going to be a tag team for forever. Right. Knowing that most likely Otani is gone. How in the world is Mike Trout staying on an island to end his career? He's got 11 postseason at bats. He's one for 11. He played in three games that the Royals sent him home in a year. They won 98 games, by the way, with sure. names like, uh, names like this, how far David freeze, Howie Kendrick. I mean, these are the names who are playing well, right? The CJ Wilson game, of course, yep. with Mike Sochi in game three. What do you think as far as trout pulse? Do we re-enter that conversation after officially, let's say Otani leaves in the off season? I mean, he would have to approach the organization because he's got a full no trade and be in, and basically ask to be traded, which I wouldn't rule out totally. Me neither. You know, you just don't know because he he does want to win. But I also think that there's a pathway that the Angels could, you know, replace Otani because there's going to be some, you know, there's always free, uh, free agents out there. They just, they continue to spend money on position players yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when they need pitching. Over yeah, I had that over. Matt Harvey, Julio Tehran, Trevor Cahill, $29 million between the three yeah. of them work out. I right. mean, think, they, think yeah. about that whole group. That was ill-advised <laughs> from the start. Right, the, all of them were washed up two, three years before, and you gave uh, them all that money. They're the only team that gave them that kind of money. So that's where you kind of all the Rendon of move, which to me was we terrible. we were there in San Diego doing winter meetings, and at the time it was Garrett Cole, Yankees or Angels. The Yankees go the which to me that was dumb too. You're going to give yep. the guy seven years, but you won't give him eight or nine. Like at that point, are you kidding? Like no one's getting a good eighth and ninth year. The no. Yankees knew that too, but you got to right. it's the price of admission. But sure. they almost said, like, you know, it's like it reminds me many years ago when the Orioles gave 50 million to Ubaldo Jimenez because they couldn't get someone else. Like, right. just because you couldn't get to give Rendon that money, I know clearly hasn't worked out, but even if it was going to, even the Tony Two Bags who won a World Series, it's just more offense. He couldn't right. pitch for you. Their mistakes are not the mistake of Trout and, and Otani. And even mm -hmm. when Otani leaves, it's almost to your point, Duke. Like they've screwed up the pooch, if you will, on everything else to get us right. to this point. Yeah. And and I thought that, you know, and the reason why I like that they'll be in the mix is their GM, Perry Manazian, has yep. built a little deeper roster. So now that Rendon's on the IL, they've got Gio or Shella, where last year they had, you know, a guy from the minors or nobody, you know, no of quality. So they can get by um, or maybe even, you know, stay in the mix without Rendon in there. Rendon, you know, had one home run. 
was hitting over 300, was heating up a little bit, but he's got one homer. Like that, you're paying him for a lot more. So again, it, it kind of his biggest swings up. were nearly at a fan, not at, yeah. not at not that's at right. Ball. That's yeah. exactly right on opening yeah. day. So you know, ill-advised signings, and and that kind of goes to you know a lot of the feeling around the league that their GM is actually the, the assistant and the owner is the GM. Oh, you know? for and sure. None for of sure. those operations go well when it happens that way. Uh, last one, real quickly, but I got to ask you because I'm just curious. I was talking about this the other day. It's not just Eric Neander and his group now. It goes back before that. The Rays have been doing such a great job for so long. But, Duke, they've been pulling pitchers out of nowhere forever. I'm never surprised that there's another two guys we never heard of in the rotation or seven bullpen arms. It did, It never. The fact that their offense, without spending the money, has been the producer and the mainstay, to me, is 135 run differential, whatever it is now, I, I'm floored by that. Is that yeah. as impressive as anything the Rays in this run going back to Andrew Freeman has done? Yeah, I think it is. You know, I feel like the, uh, I'll make the comparison. Their their offense looks like and feels like they, uh, you, you know, those one of those, uh, you know, uh, Clat or uh, TV shows like the, the the best chef or whatever, and you and they and they yeah, go top Here, chef, yeah, top chef. You take these three ingredients yeah. and go make <laughs> uh, the best cake available. Right. That's right. what the Rays do. Spam, they covered Cheetos, they this spice and that spice <laughs> and that thing, and they built this great cake. And like, how the hell did they do it? Like, I don't know how they do it every year, but that with the offense is amazing. It is amazing. Duke, appreciate you. You can get him on Twitter at Jim underscore Duquette. Of course, you can follow the Unfiltered Revolution at Casey Stern and hit us up Apple, Spotify, everywhere you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Episode 183 in the books. As always, we had Unfiltered presented by our good friends at Bet Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.